Corinthians chapter 1, and before I read from chapter 1, those first few verses, let's ask the Lord's blessing upon the reading and the preaching of the gospel this morning. Let's pray. Now, Heavenly Father, we acknowledge your sovereignty, your goodness, your greatness, Lord, your majesty in Christ. We acknowledge that you have sent your son into the world to be our prophet, priest, and king, to be the head over this holy edifice, the spiritual temple of Almighty God, the church on earth, Lord, and even in heaven, your bride, the body, Lord, this holy building. And Father, come and bless now the reading of this passage this morning, helping us to understand, Lord, the the foundation of this beautiful temple. Lord, that how you have engineered it and constructed it, Lord, in your sovereign wisdom. And Lord, where we find any defects in ourselves, we would align ourselves with this holy foundation. We would make the changes needed and necessary in order for us to glorify you in all that we do and that we might experience the blessed power of the gospel of Christ, Lord, in our lives, maturing us and transforming us day to day, week to week and year to year, preparing us, O Lord, for that, that day of graduation when we enter into that eternal rest. We'll come now and bless the reading and the preaching of the gospel. Do a holy work, a mighty work, Lord. Continue to call your elect and build up your people. If there are any here this morning that have never heard these spiritual words, this gospel of power, Lord, open their ears and eyes and open their hearts to embrace it. Lord, that they might come to know Christ and be saved from their sins and from that eternal damnation. Lord, that is for all who deny and reject this precious, precious gospel. And we give you all the praise and the glory, O Lord, for the work here this morning. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Well, beloved, I want to begin reading uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 1 at verse 1. And read through verse 10. Paul called an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God and Sosthenes, our brother, to the church of God which is at Corinth, to those who have been sanctified in Christ Jesus, saints by calling with all who are in every place, call on the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, their Lord and ours. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God always concerning you for the grace of God which was given you in Christ Jesus, that in everything you were enriched in him, in all speech and all knowledge, even as the testimony concerning Christ was confirmed in you, so that you are not lacking in any gift, awaiting eagerly the revelation of our Lord Jesus Christ, who will also confirm you to the end, blameless in the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now God is faithful, through whom you were called into fellowship with his Son, Jesus Christ, I, our Lord. And thus ends the reading of God's word. You may be seated. Well, brothers and sisters, we are in that 
introduction portion of chapter 1, those first three verses where Paul is sort of setting the tone of the letter. He does it in customary fashion. He is certainly identifying himself, who he is, what ministry he is performing, and according to whose authority that he is writing this letter. Now, Paul is in Ephesus when he writes this letter to the church there at Corinth. Corinth has been established, the church has already been formed, and they have gone on now for about five years, and Paul has been receiving terrible reports about the congregation there. And Paul identifies that Chloe and even mentions in those in that verse 1, Sososthenes, our brother. You'll find Sososthenes in Acts 18 where it talks about the forming of the church there at Corinth. Corinth was a very lavish city, accomplished. It was a, 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 a pillar of sort of Grecian thought and economy. And yet we find that through the Lord Jesus Christ has taken the Apostle Paul and preaching the gospel, we, have find, we, have, we are finding that God has in Christ established a church in a, in a city that was notoriously known for immorality. It was notorious for it. There were many proverbs of the day uh, highlighting, if you will, the immorality that existed in the city of Corinth. I mean, it would have been very much like London, New York, Las Vegas, maybe even putting them to shame in many ways. And yet we find that there is a church in Corinth, that there are those that Jesus has called out of that sinful debauchery and now formed them into a spiritual house. And that's what Paul says, that this church that has been formed, this visible church is a spiritual house, a temple, if you will. He's having to remind them of not only of what they are, but why they were formed to be such a beautiful house in such a dark place. One of the last verses we looked at last Lord's Day, and I want to revisit in order to set the tone for moving onward as we continue to sort of unpack this idea of an apostle, is Ezekiel 43. If you would, turn there with me in your Bibles. Ezekiel 43. As I stated last week that this idea of the, the visible body of Christ, if you will, being a, a holy edifice, a spiritual house, a temple, where the glory of God resides was not new with the apostle Paul. He wasn't creative in that way. Paul is simply taking the doctrine that is already found in the uh, first administration of the church and how, he, how that was highlighted in the Old Testament. And Paul is bringing it over, demonstrating to us that there is only one true church. There's always only been, been one true church, and that church is the same. The Old Testament church and the New Testament church is the same church. It now has fallen under a more glorious, more powerful, 
administration in Christ, which was the purpose to begin with. But in Ezekiel 43, in verse 10, let us revisit these verses and then move on in our lesson this morning. Notice how Ezekiel writes, As for you, son of man, describe the temple to the house of Israel, that they may be ashamed of their iniquities and let them measure the plan. For if they are ashamed of all that they have done, make known to them the design of the house, its structure, its exits, its entrances, all its design, all its statutes, and all its laws, and write it in their sight so that they may observe its whole design and all its statutes and do them. And this is the law of the house, its entire area on the top of the mountain and all around shall be most holy. Behold, this is the law of the house. This perfectly comports with what Paul is having to do in this letter to the Corinthian church. Notice that when the house is understood, its, its doctrine is taught and explained and the people embrace it. Notice the, notice the results in verse 10. Describe the temple to the house of Israel, to the church. That is the, the people of God, these covenant people. Describe the church. This is the temple. That they may be what? Ashamed of their iniquities and let them measure the plan. That is, that is, God is the engineer and designer of this holy edifice we know as the church. And when it's rightly understood, when it's rightly set forth, when it's rightly explained, when it's rightly taught, what is the result but sinners falling under great conviction for their sins? Even Christians who are in a backslidden condition fall under shame when they understand this holy edifice, this glorious spiritual temple that we call the visible church, that Christ is in the midst of her and is the glory of the church. It's not the minister. It's not the building. It's not the... It's, it, it, it's not the presentation of how much money one congregation has over another, but that Christ is the glory of the temple. And when that's presented, and when that is presented faithfully, the result is always sinners falling under great conviction. You know, conviction is something that we have tried to avoid in our day and time. And we try to avoid it because no one can be held accountable anymore, right? No one wants to take responsibility for the things they say or the things they do. And yet that's exactly what we do when we come to understand the doctrine of the church, when we come to understand its purposes, its, its, its scheme, its law, its rules, if you will. And Paul has heard enough, and now he writes this letter. He's, he's been ministering in Ephesus, but he has, to take, he has to take time out of his ministry to, to the Ephesians, and now he has to write a letter to, the, to those wayward Christians at Corinth. And Paul writes in this introduction, he says in verse 1, he says, right, Paul called an apostle of Jesus Christ. 
in that statement, Paul is testifying that he has the authority to write such a letter. You know, a popular thing to say in our day and time is, well, who made you the boss? You know, who made you the boss of me? Who gave you the right to tell me what to do? I mean, people talk like that in church. Particularly, even though they take vows and they go into membership classes and even though they understand the rules, if you will, the house rules of the church and even these spiritual laws, they come and Lord, when they find themselves out of sorts with all of that and when the session begins to impress upon them their spiritual obligations and responsibility, it is often heard by the session, well, who made you the boss of me? And Paul is addressing that. And Paul is already setting the tone, if you will, of the letter in these first four chapters. These first four chapters sort of set the tone for the whole letter. In every one of those chapters, Paul has, is addressing his authority, his apostleship, how he's being utilized by Christ in order to, to construct what this beautiful edifice, as we know as the visible church, I mean, how in the world could Paul write in 1 Corinthians chapter 5 and say, listen, I've heard it said that there's some immorality among you that not even the lost, the unsaved people even haven't tolerated in their midst. And Paul says, here's what you should do. I'm going to cast him out of the church and I'm going to hand him over to Satan. Well, Paul speaks like that because he's an apostle. Because he's had, he has authority to speak that way. And he's not apologizing for it, nor should he apologize for it. But we're going to address this apostleship this morning. I want to make a few points about it because I really want us to understand as we lay this groundwork for this letter, beloved, I want us to understand that if, if we are members of what we call the apostolic church, And church in America reflects modern American ideals in the sense of consumerism. We're always looking for the latest and greatest. We're always looking for the ones that, you know, the popularity, you know, the, the ones who are popular. We're always looking for the, the, the ones that give the, the ones that everybody's interested in at the moment. And churches reflect this, and there's hardly any connection from one group to another. And yet, that is not the Christian church. The Christian church is an apostolic church, as we'll see. There's an organic connection through Christ himself, and yet we're going to see that that connection is maintained through the ordination and succession of ministers through, well, the laying on of hands and ordination through the end until Jesus comes again. It is not Pastor Stanfield's church. It's not the Sessions church. It's Christ's church. Chalcedon is one of many rooms in this holy edifice with Christ as its head, Christ as its foundation. We just sang that hymn this morning. Let's look at two more passages of Scripture from Ephesians and 
to help us again uh, set in order, set this doctrine in front of us so that we might be able with a whole conscience embrace its teaching and not be at war with it at all. Ephesians chapter 4, well, first of all, visit Ephesians 2. Again, just touching base, not going to expound on it, but notice in Ephesians 2, uh, verse 20, having been built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Jesus Christ himself being the cornerstone in whom the whole building being fitted together is growing into a holy temple in the Lord in whom you also are being called or being built together into a dwelling of God in the spirit. Now, Paul is saying the same things to the Ephesians that he is now reminding those in Corinth about this doctrine. Why? Because there's stress, there's cracks, there's sins that have infiltrated the church. There's partisanship. There's immorality. There's the abuse of the graces of God. They were abusing the Lord's Supper. They were slipping and becoming very laxed in foundational doctrines of the church like the resurrection, and Paul had to address that as well. They were confused about human relationships such as marriage, and Paul addresses that. Beloved, as Paul, and again, it is telling, and I've often wondered, even in our own study, is Paul having to address the Corinthians and explain to them that they are a holy building being built up in Christ. But yet, look what he's saying to the, look at this letter at Ephesus. It's typically understood that Ephesians is the doctrine, Paul setting forth the doctrine of the church. And he calls it a holy building, a temple in the Lord Jesus. Look at Ephesians 4. Look at verse 11. And he gave some as apostles and some as prophets and some as evangelists and some as pastors and teachers for the equipping of the saints for the work of service to the building up of the body of Christ until we all attain to the unity of faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to a mature man to the measure of the stature which belongs to the fullness of Christ. Now, you see, who, who gave these apostles to the church? Christ did. Christ gave the, the church a group of men that had been called by Christ to the office of apostle for the founding of the Christian temple, the Christian church. They were gifts. And Paul tells us in verse 12, what was the purpose of this? So that they would what? Instruct and teach and Build up the body, right? Equipping them for the work of service, the building up, the maturing of the body in Christ Jesus. 
In verse 13, he says, to a mature man, to a measure of the stature which belongs to the fullness of Christ. Verse 14, as a result, we are no longer to be children tossed here and there by waves carried about by every wind of doctrine, by the trickery of men and craftiness and deceitful schemings. Speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in all aspects into him who is the head, even Christ. That's the purpose. Turn back over to first or turn back to First Corinthians. Look at chapter three. I want you to make this connection here in First Corinthians three. He says, And I, brethren, could not speak to you as spiritual men. But as to men of flesh, that is carnal, as to infants in Christ, I gave you milk to drink, not solid food, for you were not yet able to receive it. Indeed, even now you are not yet able, for you are still fleshly. For since there is jealousy and strife among you, are you not fleshly, and you are not walking like mere men? What is Paul saying? Paul says, you I'm having to instruct you and write to you and address these issues that have, that have been infiltrated the body of Christ there in Corinth because you are you are carnal people. You are you have not matured in the faith. This church has been established for somewhere around five years, and you have not grown up in Christ. You've not matured. In fact, you've regressed. You are like infants. And he talks about some of the sins that have kept them in their sort of spiritual infancy and certainly have retarded their growth in Christ when he says, listen, this jealousy and the strife among you has hindered your growth in Christ. This partisanship. And yet these, these evil desires in your midst, the jealousy that you have for one another has retarded your growth in Christ and I have to treat you like sinful people and infants in Christ. You're not even able to tolerate mature teaching. That's an indictment, beloved. Paul, as an apostle, has the authority to address the church with such firm language even though he's not in their midst, he has heard from Sosthenes. Sosthenes is mentioned there in verse 1, and that's what he's, Paul is saying is, I have a witness, Paul called an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God, and Sosthenes, our brother, do you not know that he has brought reports to me about your condition? Not only him, but also Chloe. Look there in verse 11, for I have been informed concerning you, my brethren, by Chloe's people, that you, that there are quarrels among you. See, we don't typically, pastors, you know, I'm not going to write a letter about the church down the road about some of the spiritual issues they're having and tell them to, you know, mature and repent of those sins and to grow up in Christ. That's not my place. But the apostle can do that. The apostles could do that because they were 
ordained of Christ for the establishing of the visible church on earth, and they had sort of they had jurisdiction over all of the spiritual well-being of the churches of Christ. Not only that, Paul had founded the church there at Corinth. Well, let's talk about the apostle. Now, Paul calls himself an apostle, verse 1. Well, who called Paul to be an apostle? Well, it says, called as an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God. Where is Paul called an apostle? How did this calling come to Paul? Well, turn in your Bibles to Acts chapter 9. Paul was not among those original apostles. He came later. And one, as Paul will say in the book, he even testifies to this. He says, am I not an apostle? Am I, have I not witnessed Jesus Christ? Because that was one of the rules that an apostle had to be an eyewitness of Jesus Christ. And yet we see that he is a, high, uh, a witness of Jesus Christ. Now, if you go to Acts chapter 9... This is after the Lord reveals himself to Saul, who would become Paul on the road to Damascus. And now he is going to be uh, baptized, and if you will, ordained immediately for the ministry after some, well, probation, some education. Christ is going to come and instruct Paul in the gospel. But now look at verse 15. Of Acts 9. But the Lord said to him, and he's talking about um, Ananias there in verse 13. He says, Go, for he is a chosen instrument of mine. Notice what Christ says about Paul. He's chosen, he's an instrument of mine to bear my name before the Gentiles and kings and the sons of Israel. Now that's Paul is being called an apostle. He's being called into this select ministry of the apostles, this office of apostle, so that he might what? Bear witness to the name of Christ to the nations, to the Gentiles, to the kings and the sons of Israel, to the nations. Notice verse 16. For I will show him how much he must suffer for my name's sake. And this is unique. Part of, you can imagine, you know, this is speaking to Paul's calling to apostle. It is through church tradition, it is believed that all the apostles suffer martyrdom in some way or another. We saw, we see in the book of Revelation, what's, you know, one of the things that, John suffered was exile, political exile on the Isle of Patmos for his witnessing that Christ is what? King of kings, Lord of lords. 
And yet if you go back and even you, you look at um, in 1 Corinthians in these first four verses here, Paul talks about this foundation. Notice in chapter 3, verse 9, says, For we are God's fellow workers. He's talking about the apostles. And you are God's field, God's building, according to the grace of God, which was given to me like a wise master builder. I laid a foundation, and another is building on it. But each man must be careful how he builds on it. In chapter 4, notice how Paul testifies to the hardships of apostles. He says in verse 8 of chapter 4, he says, you are already filled, you have already become rich, you have already become kings without us, and indeed I wish that we had become kings so that we also might uh, reign with you. For I think God has exhibited uh, us apostles last of all as men condemned to death. Because we have become a spectacle to the world, both to angels and to men. We are fools for Christ's sake, but you are prudent in Christ. We are weak, but you are strong. We are distinguished, but you are without honor. But we are, you are distinguished, we are without honor. And to this present hour, we are both hungry and thirsty, are poorly clothed and are roughly treated and are homeless. And we toil working with our own hands. When we are reviled, we bless when we are persecuted, we endure. When we are slandered, we try to uh, conciliate. We have become as the scum of the world, the dregs of all things, even until now. That's what Paul is saying about the apostles. Now, why is Paul having to say that? Why is Paul having to lay this sort of attend to this foundation? He's already laid the foundation, but now he's got he's to come and sure it up. Why? Because he's got to deal with the sins that have infiltrated the, this, this temple, this holy edifice, the church, the Christian body, the membership there. Well, because these super apostles were coming in there and they were, they were allowing these influencers, right, just like many church people today allow the, the Internet influencers to have greater spiritual control over them than even their own, well, ministers that God has sovereignly placed over them. And Paul is having to address this. He goes, listen, he goes, you got all of these, these super apostles, these men that claim to be super apostles, these men that are eloquent in speech. And Paul says, I didn't come with eloquent words, but words and power. He says, we're the, we're the dregs. We've been called to a, the office of apostle was the office of suffering. It was the office of laying the foundation of the church. It was an office of persecution. They all laid down their lives for the foundation of the church, if you will. And when the last apostle, now let me say this, and we can expound on it later. When the last apostle died, the, the proper office of apostleship died with that apostle. There are no more apostles like Paul and Peter and John. There are no more. I mean, there is a general use of the word Apostle, because what does the word apostle mean? Messenger, messenger. And Paul is calling himself, I am a messenger of Jesus Christ. I do not come with my own message. 
I don't come to gather men in my own name. No, we're the dregs of the earth. We're suffering death even now. We're homeless. We're poorly clothed. We're hungry. There's no nobility here at all. We have no respect of men. In fact, we're scoffed at and laughed at. There's nothing about us that, that men see and want to be like us. And he's, what he's saying in this is that we're totally the opposite of what these super apostles claim to be. Prestigious, eloquent, educated, wise among men. Superior in dress. You look at them, you look at their lifestyle, you look at their education, you look at all that they have, and you go, I would like to be one of them. And Paul says, that's not the apostles. No one looks at us and goes, I would really like to suffer like them. But Paul goes on to say, but, it's, but, it's, but he is the apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God. Look at uh, Hebrews chapter 3, and you're going to understand better this office of apostle and as it pertains to it being sort of this, this um, ordained messenger that comes with authority. In Hebrews chapter 3, notice the writer, he says, Therefore, holy brethren, partakers of a heavenly calling, consider Jesus the apostle and high priest of our confession. He was faithful to him who appointed him, as Moses also was in all his house. Now notice that the author of Hebrews is saying that Jesus was also an apostle of the Father. Remember when Jesus was on earth and he was having to contend with all of these Pharisees and their arguments and their trickery trying to, to get him to sort of um, fall into their traps. And he says, I, I do not come with my own message. I come bearing the words of my father. I've come to you teaching all the things that my father told me to teach you. And in that sense, Jesus came with authority from the Father to teach the people of God the things, the will of God. And that's exactly what Paul, that's exactly what Jesus does in Matthew 28. Let's make this connection. I know you've already know the verse. We've looked at it several times. But again, it's so important because in our day and time, we do not want to view ourselves as an apostolic church. We want, to be, we want to be autonomous. We want to do our own thing. We want to confess Christ and live our own lives, and that's not what we're to do. The apostles come with a message from heaven, and they come to teach us the ways of Christ. Matthew 28 Verse 19, go therefore and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I commanded you, and lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. You say, well, Pastor, Paul wasn't there. No, he wasn't there at this commission, but he was called in Acts 9 to do this very thing. 
The apostle was a very unique office. In fact, the Reformed churches always understand this office of apostle is called an extraordinary office. Extraordinary. Why? Because there are ordinary offices like pastor, elder, deacon, overseer. The office of, say, apostle and prophet, sort of extraordinary. It's extraordinary because they were used for a very unique and distinct purpose of laying the foundation of the Christian church. And once, once they died away and the foundation was laid, there was no longer any need for that office. So we see that Christ is the apostle. And what does Christ do? Notice how your office is. Christ as apostle ordains apostles. It takes a higher office to ordain another office or office that is equal with it. That's why we don't have deacons ordaining elders, if you will. We have elders ordaining deacons. Why? Because elders may have to perform the role of a deacon. Just as the apostle has to perform all the roles of pastor, teacher, a disciplinarian. He comes to instruct. He comes to comfort. He comes to serve. Jesus is also called a deacon, a servant. That's what the word deacon means, servant. All the offices of the Christian church are found originally in Christ. He is the original pastor. He's the original shepherd. He's the original apostle. He's the original servant. He comes to serve. He comes to seek and save that which is lost. He comes to serve the body of Christ. He comes to lay down his life. He comes to preach the gospel. He comes to empower God's people, change their wills, and empower them to embrace the gospel, to see it, to understand it, and to live it out. He gifts the church so that they may live out the Christian life. We looked at that in Ephesians 4. What's the purpose of these gifts? What's the purpose of these teachers? What's the purpose of this instruction? That we might grow up in Christ. Not grow apart, not grow into certain schisms, but to grow up in Christ. That's the purpose. You would have never found any of the apostles waving the banner the worldwide ministry of the Apostle Paul. He would have never done it. Why? Because it wasn't about him. It was always about Christ. And every faithful minister, elder ordained from the apostles onto the succession of elders, even to this very day, beloved, it's not about the minister. It's about Christ. And that's why even the Apostle Paul could write and admonish and even excommunicate a church member because what? It's about Christ and their growth in grace and their maturity and their witness to the world. Remember Ezekiel 43. Hey, teach and instruct and, and help them understand the glorious edifice of the church so that they may become ashamed of their sins. Explain to them this doctrine. 
Well, beloved, turning back to 1 Corinthians chapter 1, so we see that Paul is called an apostle. What is an apostle? An apostle is a messenger. Who's he a messenger of? Jesus Christ. And it's enforced by the next, by the will of God. This is God's will, beloved. And, and how important is this? Beloved, there are no Christian churches that are not apostolic. Do you understand that? If it's a Christian church, it's an apostolic church. If it's a Christian church, it's heeding to the teachings and the doctrines of the apostles. Why? Because those are, that's the office that Christ had ordained to go and instruct and teach the ways of Christ. It pleased the Lord, the head of the church, the foundation, the cornerstone of the church, to ordain men to the office of apostle that they may go lay this doctrinal foundation so that the church could then in successive generations be built into this holy edifice. And that's why Jesus said in Matthew 16, upon this rock I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. And beloved, we often might confuse the local church with the the glorious eternal church. You know, Chalcedon and any other churches locally might fold up one day. The church of Christ is not suffering violence. The church continues to press onward and upward to the calling that's in Christ Jesus. That is, when we look at ourselves, we don't look at ourselves as the church. We are just a part of this glorious church. We're a part of it. We're members of it. We are a piece of it, along with all of these others who profess the name of Jesus Christ as the Son of God, Son of Man, the one that was resurrected from the dead. Because Paul says, without the resurrection, we are pitiful. There is no Christianity. So you see what's at stake here. Paul has so much authority as an apostle that even he could say in the book of Galatians, if any other comes and preaches a gospel that I have not preached to you, whether it be a man or an angel, anathema to them. That's the authority that these apostles possessed. If anyone comes and preaches any other gospel than what I have preached to you, that I have received from the Lord and given to you anathema to them, you know what the word anathema means? To hell with that person. To be damned is what that means. If anybody comes preaching any other gospel than what Christ has handed the apostles to preach and teach, then they are worthy of damnation. That's strong. That's strong. But we in America have learned to put more emphasis and stock in appearance than substance. 
We look at what the outside of the edifice looks like, the buildings. We look at the various ministries. We look at, we never consider the doctrine. We don't consider the faithfulness. We don't consider the substance, the quality of it. And yet we might say, oh, well, that's a quality church. How do you know unless you look at the doctrine, the teaching? And it's not just the teaching. It's what we're going to see is when we go through the book of Corinthians, it's the, it's the holding accountable, the teaching. To be held accountable for it. This is what you profess. This is who you are in Christ. Now hold to this or else lose it and be cast off. The strong. But what's at stake? Eternity. Eternity either with Christ in bliss or damnation in hell. Notice that Paul not only has authority, but Paul goes on and he talks about this, this giftedness and he, and he talks about this in chapter 14 and let me say that the apostles, if you see right there in Acts chapter 1, the apostles had a unique office, but they also possessed a unique ability, unique gifts. Look there in Acts 1. That is, when God, when, when Christ called them to the office of apostle, he also gifted them to perform that office. And if you see right here, um, let's just read that verse 2 on. Until the day when he, had take, when he was taken up in heaven after he had, by the Holy Spirit, given orders to the apostles whom he had chosen. To these he had also presented himself alive after his suffering by many convincing proofs appearing to them over a period of 40 days and speaking of the things concerning the kingdom of God. So you see, what was Jesus doing before his ascension into heaven? He was coming, he was visiting with the apostles, and he was instructing them. Gathering them together, he commanded them not to leave Jerusalem, but to wait for what the Father had promised, which he said, you had heard from me, for John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. So when they had come together, they were asking him, saying, Lord, is it at this time that you are restoring the kingdom of Israel? And he said to them, it is not for you to know times or epochs which the Father has fixed by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you shall be my witnesses both in Jerusalem and in all of Judea and Samaria and even to the remote parts of the earth. Now, what is this power? This power that is being spoken of here by Christ to the apostles is unique to the apostles in that they had miraculous powers. That is, their ministry, their preaching, their authority was attested with miracles and signs. Now this gets into the whole spiritual gift conversation. For they were empowered uniquely by Christ as laying the foundation for the church that they were distinguishedly 
called of Christ because they possessed these miraculous powers and gifts. They raised the dead. They opened blind eyes. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 14, he says, I speak, I, I possess all the gifts in abundance. I wish y'all could be like me. I, I, I possess all of these gifts that you are all segregating yourselves over. Y'all are championing over, you know, judging against one another. I possess all of them. He said, he goes, I, even in tongues, I am infinitely equipped to speak in tongues, but I would not speak. I would rather speak five intelligent words to you than speak in tongues. Now, here's the Apostle Paul gifted with all of his miraculous gifts. He says, what's more important, the edification of the church, the building up of the body, the maturing of the body, pressing the whole body to the maturity of Jesus Christ. That's the job of all of us, to aid one another, to, to conform to the preaching of the gospel so that all of us are not becoming stumbling blocks for one another, but aiding and convincing and helping one another, what? Conform to Christ. They raised the dead, they opened blind eyes, they healed lame people, they could walk. They could even confer the Holy Spirit by laying hands on one another, by laying hands on someone. They could blind someone's eyes like they did Simon the sorcerer who wanted the Holy Spirit. He saw the apostles put their hands on people and give them the Holy Spirit and Simon runs over there in Acts 8, he goes, hey, can I get that? Can I have that gift? And the apostles had the gift of knowing and discerning what was in his heart. And they said, well, you greedy person. You lose your sight. You need to confess your sins before God. He wanted to profit off of that gift. So brothers and sisters, the apostles were uniquely called, they were uniquely gifted, and they were for the purpose of laying the foundation for the church. And as Paul said, we're worthy of, of uh, we're despised among you. And yet when I come to you, when I write this letter to you, no one should be able to say at the church of Corinth, well, that's just the apostle Paul. Called to disobey Paul is to disobey Christ. And this does not apply to the church at Corinth. Look at verse 2. To the church of God which is at Corinth, to those who have been sanctified in Christ Jesus, saints by calling with all who are in every place, call on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, their Lord and ours. You see, beloved, the teaching that Paul is laying down for the church that Corinth also applies to us. It extends to us. We have to ask ourselves, what are we doing with the apostles' teaching? How are we handling the teaching of the apostles? What are we going to do with Paul's words? Are we going to be like the liberal church that says, well, you know, Paul's a bigot. You know, Paul's a chauvinist. Paul's anti-woman. And we would never listen to hardly anything Paul says. 
Now, I've heard liberals say this. If we are those who have been sanctified in Christ, we must listen to the Apostle Paul. If we are called to Christ, if we are sanctified in him, if we call upon his name, if we have confessed our sins and we claim to be Christians, beloved, then we too must attune our ears to hear what the Apostle Paul is teaching about partisanship, immorality, marriage, the gifts of the Spirit, these graces like the Lord's Supper that had fallen, the, the, the doctrines of the church, the foundational doctrines of the church like the resurrection of Christ. You know, liberals, listen, listen, Satan is so crafty. <laughs> Satan is so crafty because he's come to the church and he says, well, you don't have to deny the resurrection. It really what matters is not the physical resurrection, it's just the concept. Spiritual resurrection. Christ didn't really raise from the dead. It's spiritual. You see, beloved, that's how, that's how, the, that's the wisdom of the world. The wisdom of the world says, oh, yeah, you don't have to really believe the Bible wholly, just partly. I, do you know how many people are sitting in church that says, I believe most of the Bible, but not all of it? And here's the question. Well, which portion of it do you not believe, and how does that affect your testimony and your confession of faith? How do you trust that? Because if it's not trustworthy in every respect, is it trustworthy at all? And how do you know you got the right portion of it? You see, beloved, Christians are unique. We come recognizing our finiteness. We come recognizing we don't know everything. We come, we don't even, we, we know a little of little, the little, little bit of a little bit when it comes to the world, the universe, and God, and all these things, but we come resting in the word of God and the testimony of Jesus Christ. We come resting in it. And that's why Paul says in chapter 1, do you know that the world sees this as foolishness? Are you okay with that? I am. You okay with the world calling you a fool because you, you believe the Bible? I, I, I've even heard politicians talking about, well, yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, I, you know, I don't believe all of it because they've been asked, well, you, you, you believe the Bible? Well, I mean, not all of it. Well, you don't believe any of it then, really. How do you know the part you believe in is the right part? Take it as it is, the word of God. What did we confess this morning? What do we confess every Lord's day? For the grass withers and the flower fades, but what? The word of the Lord stands forever. Beloved, the office of apostle was given to lay the foundation of the church. What is being built on that foundation, beloved, has to be according to the teachings of Christ and the apostles. If we don't hold to that, we're going to see stress cracks. You're going to suffer in your relationships. We're going to become jealous of one another. When we go listening to the, the YouTube influencers and the YouTube preachers, and I'm not saying there's not anything good on the Internet. I've never said that. But there's a lot of stuff you need to be aware of. 
and, and, be a, and, and to avoid. You need to understand that this is the ordained ministry that Christ is working in your life with. This is where Christ is working in your life. I'm, I'm going to say this. I'm going to use this illustration. We gravitate to, like I said, the, the, that which looks great. We often avoid things that are simple, um, plain. We gravitate to other things. We have adopted a mindset in this, in this land, of, uh, in the church, the visible church in America, that it has to have so much of a budget, it has to have so big of a staff, it has to have, if I'm going to benefit as a Christian, it's got to have all these things, these barrels and whistles. But you know the majority of the people are fed Christ through small preaching, just small churches, simple ministers preaching the gospel. You know why? Because the people that hear that word go home and pray over it. They go home and digest it. They go home and study it. They go home and they get before God with it. And they're like, Lord, you have taught me these things. Confirm this to my heart. Grow me up. Mature me. Work in me, O oh Lord. I believe in your sovereign power. I believe you can work through this man in my life. This is where you have me. Lord, let me conform to what your word is saying. And beloved, if you're not doing that, you could be in the, the biggest, brightest, best church of all. You can have all the apostles around you. You know, there was some that had Moses preaching to them and they perished in the wilderness. And why did they perish? Because the book of Hebrews says they did not add faith to what they were hearing. It wasn't Moses' fault. And Moses had a speech impediment. Paul says, I came preaching simple things to you. Beloved, if you're going to benefit from the word of God, you've got to put faith into it. You've got to confess your sins. You've got to embrace Christ. You've got to conform to him. You've got to put off this world. You've got to, you've got to reject the world's wisdom and embrace God's wisdom. That's how you're going to mature in Christ. And that's why Christ gave us the apostles to lay that foundation so that we might know what to believe and how to live according to that belief. Let's pray. Now, Father, we have just touched the surface of Paul's apostleship. And, Lord, the need that we have for apostles and the, the glory that they possessed in laying the foundation of the church, the authority that they possessed. Now, Father, I pray that we would listen, that we would, we would understand, that we would see, O oh Lord, how you have gifted us with these truths that the church that we are a part of is an apostolic Christ-centered church where the triune God is glorified, as Paul said, he's called an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God, empowered by the Holy Spirit to where the word that is preached is powerful because of the attendance of the Holy Spirit. 
Well, come and make these things known, Lord. Come and, Lord, have these things settled in our hearts that we might, Lord, learn, Lord, to reject partisanship, to repent of it. If there's immorality, Lord, if there, as, we, as we learn, Father, of these sins that the Corinthians were guilty of, may we examine ourselves and confess it when we see it in ourselves that we would give Christ the glory in all that we do. In Jesus' name, amen.